Peace, peace. We are back once again with Masterminds, Brother Shemel. I am your host, Brother Shemel. And once again, I am excited as always to be back and to always do a show and share with my listening audience. Um, definitely shout out to my listening audience, everyone out there who's been supporting me in the past. I always say it, but I continue to say it. And I will continue to say it. Um, I really, truly appreciate the support. Um, just wanted to give a, a special shout out. I noticed um, as I was checking my stats that I, if I'm not mistaken, there are there are quite a bit of listeners out there in the country of Germany has been brought to my attention. So shout out to Germany. Shout out to all the listeners out there in Germany, as well as the other countries out there. Um I also want to take this time before I get into today's topic. I want to say that again, uh, I want to invite everyone to check out my website, shemel.com. That's S H E M hyphen E L.com. And you can actually listen to podcast episodes there, as well as check out my blogs, um, join the online community. You can check out the videos um, on the channel that we have there, Shem LTV channel. Uh, what else can you do? Uh, check out, get some of the, the books if you like. Um, for those of you who have not um, acquired any of the books that I have, I have several books that I've written on the topic of metaphysics and, and other topics. You can check that out. I have other products as well. But once again, just, you know, just check me out. See how you like it. I love to give feedback. And you can definitely reach out to me, contact me via the website. For those who want to give a voice message, if you're listening on Anchor, you can definitely go on Anchor. Um, You should be able to, when you listen on Anchor somewhere on that page, you should be able to be prompted to leave a voice message. I will receive that voice message. I will post it on the following um, the following episode and respond to it. Um, and this will be in order, in the order that I receive the voice messages. So, as always, I definitely appreciate the support. Um, let me see. Getting right to it. Uh, I want to get into the topic pertaining to the subject matter of the stone. Uh, I entitled this from Flint Stone to Gemstone, and I did it for a reason. Um, the symbolism of the stone. The stone has been used um, in various uh, literature, uh, religious literature, um, as well as other um, literature pertaining to esoteric knowledge. It's been used by different societies. And I want to touch on that, um, briefly. Um, I won't get long in this subject. This will be rather short. Uh, but this topic was inspired by actually a lesson that was taught in the meeting that I had yesterday. Um, me and, um, some of the other teachers were building on this subject matter pertaining to the stone. And what I like to do, as always, as a reference of foundation, because the stone deals with foundation, I want to go into the circle seven. And I'm going to start off with chapter two of the circle seven. And I'm actually just uh, with chapter two, I'm just going to read two verses of chapter two. Of course, this is entitled Education of Mary and Elizabeth in Zone Egypt. And in this particular context, uh, there's a conversation with the master teacher, Elihu, where he's speaking to Mary and Elizabeth in reference to their sons. So starting from verse 10, it says, Elihu said to Mary and Elizabeth, 
you may esteem yourself thrice blessed, for you are chosen mothers of long-promised sons who are ordained to lay a solid rock, a sure foundation stone on which the temple of the perfect man shall rest, a temple that shall never be destroyed. Now, those are two verses that seem very short and concise, but there's a lot to unpack there. And I want to give context to that. So to give context to that, what I would have to do is go into another chapter of the Circle 7, specifically chapter 5. And chapter 5 is dealing with the carpenter's tools. Now, uh, I have spoken about this in my previous um, podcast, specifically in the episode entitled Workshop of the Mind. If you have not um, checked it out, please do so. And this may seem like um, if those who have heard that podcast episode, this may seem at first a little redundant, but I'm expounding on the symbolism of the stone and why it's of such importance in various um, in various orders and various uh, different schools of thought and in the, the significance of the stone. And really, I'll be I'll be no pun intended, just scratching the surface with this. But I want to give some context because of what was um, brought forth the other night. So chapter five, which is entitled after the feast, the homeward journey, the missing Jesus, the search for him, his parents find him in the temple. He goes with them to Nazareth, the symbolic meaning of the carpenter's tools. When you start, um, you, I would start basically in verse 11. And then in verse 11, it says the following. And then he went forth with his parents on their way to Nazareth. And when they reached their home, he wroth with Joseph as a carpenter. One day, as he was bringing forth the tools for work, he said, these tools remind me of the ones we handle in the workshop of the mind, where things were made of thought and where we build up character. We use the square to measure all our lines, to straighten out the crooked places of the way and make the corners of our conduct square. We use the compass to draw circles around our passions and desires to keep them in the bounds of righteousness. We use the axe to cut away the knotty, useless, ungainly parts to make and make the character symmetrical. We use the hammer to drive home the truth and pound it in until it is a part of every part. We use the plane to smooth the rough, uneven surface of joint and block and board that go to build the temple for the truth. The chisel, line, the plummet, and the saw all have their uses in the workshop of the mind. And this, and then this ladder, with its trinity of steps, faith, hope, and love, on it we climb up to the dome of purity in life. And on the 12-step ladder, we ascend until we reach the pinnacle of that which life is spent to build the temple of perfected man. Now, one of the things I said the other night in reference to this passage is that this building of the, of the temple of perfected man, male and female, in this, con- in this context, is a lifelong process it's not something you do 
a course in a day, in a month, in a year, in a couple of years, in 10 years. This is constant. As long as you're in this carnal body, you will continuously be building because there will be continuous levels of knowledge that you will attain to add on to this building. It's just like a building uh, where you add extra rooms, so to speak. Right? So the perfection deals with well if it's perfect then why do you add on the perfection deals with the refinement right the refinement of which you are made so there's that phrase of diamond in the rough right he's a rough stone he's a rough one so the roughness pertains to the actual if you will the actual um unrefinement of a person where they are totally in their lowest self they totally are erratic and based on their desires that's why we went into the whole thing of uh, build up character and drawing circles around your passions because your passions can have you out of bounds and make erratic decisions and things that you will later regret so that perfectness is the balance that you have in your day-to-day living and you use those tools of the workshop in the mind and of course these are all symbolic to shape your thoughts in a way and your processes in a way where you know how to conduct yourself through life and deal with others as well as develop yourself spiritually so you become one with the omnipotent now with that said Understanding that, we also have to, there's a, there is a particular term that's used uh, amongst those, and I'm not going to get, you know, real deep into it because it's it's not for me to really go into. I I don't claim to be part of that, um, that group of people, but in Freemasonry, they speak about the perfect ash law. And this is important because all of this is actually in the Bible anyway. Um, the perfect ash law. You have the rough ash law and you have the perfect ash law. So these tools in the workshop of the mind use a perfect ash law. Ash law is like a hewn stone, basically like a brick, in which is laid out by a mason. And so the concept is that, figuratively speaking, you know, just... They have what they term called uh, operative and speculative. So for those who are not familiar, you can do your research on it. But it's another way of saying as above, so below, basically. That's another way of putting it. Um, one deals with the the lower aspects of demonstration the more um exoteric degree of it and the one other one deals with the more esoteric or the inner the higher um degree of it the higher metaphysical symbol symbolizing or symbolism i should say of those terms so from that aspect of it that stone the rough stone symbolizes the one who does not have their character built up. They're still, as they say, rough around the edges. They're not refined. Even in within the um, the doctrine, the teachings of the nation of the gods and earth, the 5% nation, they have a term called um, power refinement, right? Which I believe is represented by the number five, as in the fifth chapter of the circle seven so five represents power refinement in their teachings and so the power to refine oneself to take oneself from you know from the uncivilized savage to the civilized and it's the same thing here the same approach here where you're taking yourself and you're refining yourself to be more in tune to be more enlightened and then in your enlightenment your autom- with the spiritual, it automatically reflects in your day-to-day conduct 
in society, right? So that's what you want to do with the tools of the workshop of the mind. Now, you're likened them to the stone. Now, this will actually get into play with a passage. And actually, there's several passages in the Bible that speaks about this um, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament because in the New Testament, if I'm not mistaken, um, Jesus is actually quoting the Old Testament passage. Okay. But um, I just want to go into specifically, uh, let me go into it. I'll start from the book of Psalms, chapter 28. Not chapter, I'm sorry, not chapter 28. I'm sorry, I apologize. Chapter 118. And I will start with verses 22. I'll go into 22 and 23. So, and this is important. So, it says here, the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. So, again, let me repeat that. Verses 22 and 23 of Psalm chapter 118. It says, the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. So that stone, right, which the builders refused is symbolic of the one who is rejected in the world in this world becomes the one that is accepted in the next world. Okay? Or there's a passage in, in the Bible where Jesus said the, the last shall become first and the first shall be last. Or the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So the least, and then there's also in the Beatitudes it says blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. So it's that again, that motif, that reoccurring theme in where the least of you here will become the greatest in heaven. In other words, those who are considered not of this world can become, they're not of, because they're not of this world, they're of the higher realms. They become, they become of a higher status in the higher realms because of the fact that they're not accepted. They're not, um, they're not tied to the physical aspects, the things of the world, the cares of the world. Um, the interesting thing is that in more science, we have a questionnaire and on the cover of the questionnaire, you have Noble Jirali, who was the founder of the Morris Science Temple of America, where he's drawn an image of him drawn with one foot in the water and on the water it says the cares of the world and the other foot is on a rock, a, a rock, right? From which you get stone, stone and rock. And that is a, which is a foundation. And that has written on that salvation. Okay. And he's has in his arms, a woman with the word humanity written across her dress. So it's symbolic of him taking humanity, uplifting fallen humanity, that was the purpose for which the Morris Science Temple of America was founded the question is asked, for what purpose was the Morris Science Temple of America founded the answer is for the uplifting of fallen humanity so the uplifting of fallen humanity, and of course this is by the vibration of love is placed on a rock of salvation, a solid rock, and now salvation is the saving from the cares of the world you know, the chaos that's going on. If we look at today, you know, needless to say, there is a lot of chaos in the world. Uh, we're living in a day of a lot of fear, um, fear of disease, fear of violence. Um, there is violence. There is disease. Uh, a lot of things are unstable in the outside world. And 
for those of us, and this is the teaching moment, if we do not have a solid foundation on which to build ourselves spiritually, we can, you know, we can be led astray and fall to the waves and the comings and goings and the tides of the cares of the world. So again, that's where also that solid rock foundation comes into play where we have to be able to build that foundation. We have to be able to um, actually go into and be firm, right? That which is a stone is firm. It should be firm. Now, of course, there's soft, soft rock, but we're talking about a solid stone that is looked upon as being a foundation by what you build. And a little later, I'm going to get into the aspect of what I meant by flintstone to gemstone and taking not only just the the rough ashla to the perfect ashla, right, but also the transmutation, which deals with the alchemy aspects of it in stone as well. Because again, you're dealing with the element of earth, you're dealing with um, minerals and things of that nature in a symbolic way. As you see things in nature, that which you see in nature also applies within. So one of the best ways to get insight on how to work internally is to observe nature outside of you. What do I mean by that? I mean basically by way of you observing the flow of life, right? How animals, how plant life move, you get a better insight on how you should move because human beings are the one group of people that intentionally move against nature, right? History has shown, you know, many human beings have gone against nature. Animals don't do that. Even though animals do not have the intelligence of man, most animals have enough sense (laughs) to be in tune with nature. Now, of course, nowadays we have situations where, um, animals, even animals are going against their own nature. Like, um, uh, my wife recently showed me, uh, uh, I think it was a video on social media. They posted of a squirrel eating a chicken leg, you know, and another one of a squirrel eating a pizza. So when I grew up, squirrels ate nuts and ate nuts only, but now they're eating chicken and pizza. Literally they're eating chicken and pizza. So that lets you know that even now, you know, animals in the animal kingdom are going against their own nature. What is natural, um, which speaks a lot to how far we've fallen. And that gets into the cycle of cycle ages, as I mentioned in the last, uh, last episode dealing with the uh, Kala Chakra right cycles of time and it cycles of time deals with the yugas and for those who are familiar with the yugas and i i won't get too deep into it but i want to put it in the context of of nature and how build a sound foundation of course you got the uh Sat- satya yuga tetra yuga um Dwarpara yuga and the kali yuga and many of us will say, of course, we're in the Kali Yuga right now. And that Kali Yuga um, is the time of gloom and ignorance, right? And then it's supposed from the Kali Yuga, we're supposed to elevate back up to the Sat- Satya Yuga, which is the time of truth and righteousness, which is what I um, spoke about in depth in my book, How Many Days Are in the Circle? But the point of this all is, is that with the cycle of time, how things are measured, this also coincides with why it's important to use the tools of the workshop of the mind to be fortified so that we are able to rule over the lower, um, the lower um, laws. You serve on the high, under the higher laws to rule over the lower laws. And that deals with transmutation. Um, 
which I've spoken about in the past as well. But I just really want to quickly, before I go into the latter part, just get into a little more on this, the passage pertaining to that stone, um, because that's important. I believe if we go into the book of, let me see. That's a good question. Where we going to Luke? I believe in the book of Luke, it talks about the stone as well. And I want to make sure I know exactly where that's at. Um, I usually have these passages right either written or off the top of my head so I do do ask for you to forgive me on that aspect um, pertaining to the um, the stone but somewhere in the book of Luke um, particularly it is mentioned about the stone um, I believe it's actually Matthew if I'm not mistaken Matthew chapter 21 I said Luke but I meant to say Matthew okay so if we go to the book of Matthew chapter 21 verse 42 you will also see where he speaks about the actual that actual particular context of the stone and I want to give this because it's pretty much the same thing but there's a another thing within that you need to know. So it says, 42, Jesus said unto them, did ye never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whatsoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. So, again, in this context, he's speaking about the wickedness of men. Right. Um and how again the first will be last and the last shall be first that the kingdom of God shall be taken from you those in power and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof so we have to be cognizant and aware that when we have this information when we have this um, knowledge and power and I'm going to get a little get into a little later on about the different types of foundations and the, depending on the type of foundation you have will determine how strong the foundation is on which you build yourself up spiritually because what is not said a lot is that everybody does not come into this knowledge for the same reason they don't have the same foundation they're not building it on the same foundation and the the type of foundation on which they build themselves or go on this spiritual journey and get all this information about chakras and crystals and you know kundalini energy their intentions their their pursuits which stems from the foundation which connects to their state of mind will determine how they will end up and whether they will even stay on this path so that's very important as well we have to be careful about the foundation. Make sure you have a strong foundation um, in all of this. And we'll get into that uh, a little later in the next half. So what I'd like to do at this time is go into another part of the book of Matthew, specifically Matthew chapter 16 and I want to start from verse 13 and go to verse 20 and this also will tie into what I'm speaking about as far as the stone uh, demonstration okay so here it says when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea 
Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. So just stopping right there, there's several points you can go in on that particular section. So in this conversation of this story, um, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's asking them um, about who the people say that he is. And then they go on and say, well, some say you're this, some say you're that, right? And then he asks the question, well, who do you say I am? And the only one to answer was a man described as Simon Peter. Now, here's the thing. In that conversation, you'll find later that when Jesus responds, he addresses him as Simon Bar-Jonah, right? Which is Hebrew. Well, the the true Hebrew of that is Shimon Bar-Jonah, right? Jonah, of course, we know is synonymous with the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament. Of course, this is not the same Jonah, but interestingly enough, in the Bible, in the New Testament, Jesus is having a conversation and he said this wicked um, generation just paraphrasing no sign shall come to them except the sign of Jonah they asked for a sign no sign shall come to them except the sign of Jonah and that was dealing with the three days three nights he going into the sign pertaining to the three remember you always see that three as I've always mentioned the numbers three seven twelve in the Bible because that ties into the whole system of Kabbalah, right? And so, but specifically, he acknowledged him as Simon Bar Jonah, acknowledged him by his given Hebrew name. And then he said, And I say unto thee, I say unto you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, at that point, he began to be called Peter. He was not called Peter before, even though in the Bible it writes and says Simon Peter, right? That's the narration. But he was not called Peter until that point. Until the point where he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus made the declaration that you are Peter. I send to you, you are Peter. The word Peter, right, which is from the Greek word Petros, which literally means a little rock, right? He was giving him a title. He was basically saying, you are the rock. You may hear people say um, about their spouse, that spouse, she's my rock. Well, he's my rock. Like, that's that's my go-to. That's the person who I can lean on. That's a solid person. Right. This is the same thing that Jesus is saying. Jesus said, oh, Simon, you rock. You're the rock. And on you, on the rock, I will build my church. Now, the word there, of course, is in church. But in the Greek, it's ecclesia, which means assembly from the word from the root word ek, 
which means out of, and kaleo, um, two, two Greek suffixes, ek kaleo, out of, and kaleo means to call, ecclesia. So it's assembly of those who are called out, basically. It, church is a much latter day term to be used. So anytime you see in the New Testament, um, the term church is really assembly. You even have to this day, uh, many churches that use the term, they call themselves the assembly. They won't use the word church because they know that the Greek translation of the word ecclesia that's been translated down to be church really literally means assembly. Um, so that's something to take note of. And then in this conversation, Jesus is saying that 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 answer that you gave, that conclusion that you came across, that awakening, that awareness of who I am, that didn't come from your own understanding. That wasn't flesh and blood. No one revealed it to you. No person told you this. That came from the Father in heaven. That was divine, right? And then he goes into saying about building the foundation of this assembly and the gates of hell should not prevail against it and giving him the keys. I'll give to you the keys of heaven. And we know heaven is a state of mind. It's not a place. So those keys to get into that state is knowledge, right? Even in more science, we refer to the more questionnaire by keys, key one, key two, etc. So the last part of it, he goes and says, whatever shall be bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever shall be loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. That's, again, the law of correspondence. He's speaking the law of correspondence. As above, so below. Right? So, in the Lord's Prayer, you said, um, what is it? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. As it is in heaven, as above, so below, as within, so without. So again, in this in this story of Jesus, you constantly hear these statements pertaining to the law of mentalism and or the principle of mentalism and the principle of correspondence, especially the principle of correspondence. You constantly see that in this um, in this story. And then, of course, the last thing is that he told his, charged his disciples or commanded his disciples to tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. So, which is very interesting uh, because now you have a situation where in today's time, that seems to be the prevalent thing to say, okay, well, Jesus is the Christ because they're not understanding the, the, the esoteric information is that what you find in John, he says, the works I do, you shall do greater. I'm in you when you are in me. He's basically saying, when, when we are one, we all are the Christ, the Christ consciousness, right? And that's also in the circle seven, um, where he says, what I am, all men should, what I do, all men should do, and what I am, all men shall be. So that title of Christ, which is anointed one, which also is Messiah, because in the book of John it said, we have found a Messiah who is being interpreted to Christ. Christ Christos being Greek, and Messiah or Messiah is the Hebrew term, that anointed one, that's a title that a person can attain. It's not the name of a person. It is a title, okay? And even Jesus symbolically is a title, Right? So just having basic understanding of those things will kind of give you a concept, but getting back to the rock part, right? So disciples, as you know, I've mentioned um, in various different uh, forms um, in, in things I've said and in what I wrote is that the disciples, the 12 disciples are the 12 disciplines, right? So this is all symbolic. So these names, when you see them, they correspond with different particular um, qualities 
that are within you. Notice there are 12 disciples, not 11, not 13, right? Where else do you see 12? You see the 12 tribes of Israel, right? 12 sons of Jacob, 12 sons of Ishmael, right? As I mentioned before, in, in the Kabbalah series, you see 12 all the time. Even in 24 elders, that 24 elders is 12 times 2 in the book of Revelations. The 144,000 is 12 times 12,000. It's still divisible by 12. And when you add those numbers, 144,000, you get the number 9, which is the number of completion. So that is the metaphysical aspect of the 12 disciples. You're dealing with 12 disciplines, right? To be a dis- to be a disciple is to have discipline, right? So this is the understanding, the deeper understanding or overstanding of these lessons in the context of how you should be used, how they should be used. Now, I want to get in a little further into the aspect of the transmutation. In alchemy, in mental alchemy, or when they talk about alchemy in general, let me go there. They speak about, you hear the thing about transforming base metal into gold. Transforming base metal into gold. And the metals are minerals, right? The mineral deals with the classical element of earth. And what's within the earth? The rock. Who's the first rock? Who was the first earth? Adam. Adama. Adam of means ground. Earth. So man is is synonymous with the formation of the formated man in formation, as I mentioned in the Kabbalah series, the um, in Asiya, in the world of formation, is the earth being, the rock being, right? They'll use earth, they'll use, you'll see in the scriptures, they'll use earth, dust, mud, all earth elements. The earth element, which is the where you stand on. But here's the thing. You're supposed to take yourself from an earth being, right? A carnal being to a celestial being, right? From human flesh to flesh divine. There's a transformation. So from earth to air and even and really beyond air to ether, to fire ether, right? Because with ether, that's the quintessence. The um, I I know I messed it up in one of the other. Um, I think it was the last show I, I mispronounced it, but quintessence. The quintessence is the ether. That's the fifth element. The fifth classical element of ether, akasha, right? So you're wanting to elevate yourself from earth to ether, right? To go beyond the plane of things made manifest, transforming, elevating, ascending into the soul plane, all the way up to the spirit plane. Earth, physical, soul, spirit, right? Solid, liquid, gas. Remember the three correspondence. So you want to elevate there. If, and this ties back to chapter five, the ladder in which you climb has to be sit on a solid foundation. That's the solid stone foundation. A solid, right? That goes back to chapter two of Circle Seven, where it speak when we're speaking about actually building things on a solid stone foundation a solid foundation stone I should say right who right being ordained to lay a solid rock a sure foundation stone on which the temple of perfect man shall rest a temple that shall never be destroyed the temple that shall never be destroyed is the same as Jesus saying on this rock 
I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So as long as you have that solid stone, right, nothing can tear you down. You have to have the right foundation. Now, there are many ways to describe different foundations, um, but the way I want to just make it simple, I'm going to break it down to three. These three will correspond with the triune, um, the triune entity, the triune deity, the triune, you know, triune God, whatever you want to use, but the triune. And from the triune, breathe forth the seven spirits. And the Hebrews call these spirits Elohim. But starting with the triune, the triune principle. Wisdom, will, and love, right? Some will use the term uh, wisdom, strength, beauty, okay? Et cetera, et cetera. So, but I want you to just follow with what I'm saying. When you come into this realm of esoteric knowledge, this higher knowledge, spiritual knowledge, whatever it is, even if you just say, I want to, find God, I go to the church, I go to the mosque, I go to the temple, synagogue, whatever, what may have you, and you get this information and you build yourself, right? Or you get into a level of consciousness where you say um, you want to actually go and just basically um, gain more understanding of life. Even in that, even if it's not specifically of spirituality, but we're going to focus on spirituality. Get real quick to it. How you can determine that, what the foundation is, will determine, again, how high you ascend, what you do while you're ascending, if you ascend, and if you will stay on that path of ascension. Okay? So... You can come to it from a standpoint of knowledge, which is your wisdom part, okay? Your intelligence part, where it's just the intellectual aspect of you knowing things and saying that you know it. You read a lot of books, nothing wrong with reading books. You soak up a lot of information, go to lectures, see YouTube videos, et cetera, et cetera. And you get to all this information. It's like, yeah, I know about the mystic masters and the higher realms and the cosmic uh, energies and all this stuff. And you can articulate it very well, right? The thing with that is that that is contingent upon you being an expert and knowing what you know and not being proven false in what you know. So what happens is if you're challenged on what you know, if someone else comes and boasts of superior understanding or knowledge on a particular subject and they challenge you and they win on that challenge, or if you're discredited in any way, that can affect you in your ego. It's still tied to your ego knowing something, being wise, being incredibly smart. The next part is the will. That's the might. That's the strength, right? So that's based on power. I'm going to get this information so I can be powerful. Uh, I know how to heal. I know how to channel energies. I can transfer. I can do this. I can read the Akashic records. I can go through different dimensions. You know, I can, you know, I can do whatever it is that's, you know, likened unto a Doctor Strange comic book. Nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But if you don't get what you're looking for or your expectation of power, right? Because power is an illusion. And and it's not appreciated because most people want power for respect, right? Like that song, what it be like, money, power, respect. That's why people get money. People get money because they want power and they want power because they want respect. To control people, it can come from a dis- disingenuous place. And that has a limitation. That has an expiration 
point in time. That also is tied to the ego. That also can lead to corruption, right? There are people who are very powerful spiritual masters, powerful occult masters, but they're corrupt, right? I don't have to name names. You can do you can do some Google research on some very powerful masters in the occult world and the fact that they were very diabolical. That's not a solid foundation because in the laws and the cosmic of the universe and the laws of nature from a cosmic realm, from a spiritual standpoint of view, that will come back to you. That will come back to you. That's cause and effect. That is the principle, comedic principle, the hermetic principle of cause and effect. What you put out will come back to you. So if you use your power to harm, use your power to manipulate, then you will suffer the consequences of that. And the last part of it is love. So there's wisdom, there's will, and there's love. There's nothing, wisdom is good. Will is good if used in its proper context. But if you solely base it on those, if you have to choose one, the greatest to choose of foundation is the foundation of love because love demands nothing in return. True love, true divine love demands nothing. It's not tied to an ego. True divine love exhausts the ego. It's void of ego. You do things out of love. You're not wavered away. No one can intellectually debate you out of your spiritual path if you come from a standpoint of love. No one can outpower you. You don't care if anyone is more powerful than you are if you operate in a from a standpoint of pure love. As people would say, God is love, right? So these are things you have to understand. That is the strongest foundation is the vibration of love, is the foundation of love. When you come in on this spiritual path, it's important to have knowledge. It is important to have strength, to have will. But if you don't have love as a foundation, and it takes purity to pave the way for love, that means you have to purify yourself to allow love to settle into your very being and be be full of love, of divine love. Once you do that, then you have that stone, that solid rock foundation. That is the that is the ultimate way to transform yourself from that base metal mentally, he's talking mental symbolically of mental transmutation to gold, right? To transform yourself from human flesh to flesh divine, from a human being to a divine being, from an earthly being to a divine being. And that is the symbolism and the importance of the stone taking the rough ashlar and transforming it into that perfect ashlar. And with that, until next time, I thank you all for listening. Peace and love.